Hello, and welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, a show focused on our ocean. The Blue Earth Podcast is brought to you by Future Frogmen, a nonprofit organization focused on developing future leaders to protect our ocean. My name is John Sherburn. I'm the show's producer. Our president and usual host is Richard Hyman, but today we have something different. There is a humanitarian crisis going on with forced migrations due to sea levels rising and other impacts of climate change. And today, we are sharing a previous conversation that we had with Father Andrea Vicini of Boston College. He's a professor of moral theology and bioethics, and he has a really interesting conversation. The guest host is Donald Kerwin, the executive director of the Center for Migration Studies of New York. And Richard first met the father at Fairfield University, where he lectured on saving the earth, ethics, healthcare, and the common good. Richard was impressed by the father's ability to relate to the common man and his concern for the earth and environmental sustainability. And I share that view. This is a really good conversation, packed with good information. So please listen to the whole thing if you can. Enjoy the show and remember anyone can be an ocean ambassador. Let's get into it. My own area is refugee protection and international migration, but I follow Richard's work very closely because it's so important and relevant, in fact, to the work that we're doing. And I think we're gonna try to draw some of those connections today. Our topic is our water planet, global public health, the common good, sustainability, and ethics. One of our hopes is to provide a moral and ethical language to think about water, the environment, public health, and various interconnected issues. This is a lot of territory to cover in a relatively short period of time. I'm particularly happy to, uh, to have Father Vicini, uh, and one of his themes, of course, is interdisciplinarity and approaching immense challenges of this kind. And as a pediatrician, an ethicist, and a theologian, he draws on many disciplines himself, and is kind of an embodiment of that, of, the, of that notion. So it's great to have him with us. Another theme, I think, um, that we're going to cover at length is this sustainability theme, which is cent- which is really a central theme, as many of you know, to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which were adopted in 2015. Goal six is to ensure the availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. And it's got a number of targets that are totally relevant to the session that we're having today. These targets speak to universal and equitable access to safe and affordable drinking water, improved water quality by reducing pollution, elimination of dumping and minimizing release of hazardous chemicals and materials, decreasing the proportion of untreated wastewater and substantially increasing recycling, increasing water use efficiency, ensuring a sustainable supply of fresh water, protecting and restoring water-related ecosystems and strengthening the participation of local communities and improving water and sanitation management. I would like to go back even further um, to a commission that was called the Bruntland Commission, named after the chairperson of that commission, Gru Bruntland, who is the former prime minister of Norway and the director general of the World Health Organization. And that commission um, lifted up this term, at least for me, of sustainable development in a 1987 report. And so what what exactly does that mean? Because it's the theme of our event. It means that we need to meet present human needs, particularly the needs of the poor, in a way that doesn't compromise the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. 
So it speaks to our responsibilities as stewards of the planet and even the universe and our accountability to future generations. Sustainability is also one of those terms like the common good that recognizes our interdependence. And it's an interdependence that crosses borders, it crosses socioeconomic lines, and it, and it crosses time as well, different eras. And it recognizes, um, which is very important these days to remember this, that none of our main global challenges can be solved unilaterally. So let me now turn to Father Vicini. Um, he's a professor of moral theology at Boston College. He's enormously accomplished, and he's exactly the right person to address us today. And I'm going to pose four, maybe five questions over the course of our conversation to Father, um, and then we can open it up and broaden the discussion. But to start, let me go right to the heart of this, uh, Father, and ask you to speak to the ways that clean and plentiful water is essential to sustainability and is a condition of the common good. Thank you very much, Don, for your very kind introduction and for helping us to frame our reflection, focusing on sustainability. The answer by trying to say a few words on water, second, on sustainability, and third, on the common good. So let us begin with water. On the planet, 97.5% of water is in the oceans. That is, is salty water that is not easily accessible. Only 2.5% is fresh water, the water we and animals can benefit from. 2.5% is a very limited amount. Mm. And uh, on Earth, three are the sources of fresh water. 0.3% is surface water in the rivers and lakes. 75% mm. is in the ice caps and in the polar regions but it is not easy, easily available. And almost 30% is groundwater. Simply by looking at this data, we can say the freshwater is uh, a precious and limited, but essential resource, indispensable for life for human beings and for any life form. If you look at us as human beings, we are largely composed of water, 75% at birth and up to 60% of the adult body is water. And these percentages tell us that both by looking at this quantity and location, fresh water is a scarce resource. It needs to be protected for our current generation and for future generations. We could say that we want the use of water to be sustainable so that there is the water that we need for us and for those who will follow us. Now, if we turn to sustainability, I would like to add a few more things to what you indicated. I share what you said, but say that sustainability is more than a commodity or the simple necessity. Say that sustainability is a good that encompasses ecological dimensions with their social and economic implications. As you indicated, sustainability depends on the fact that we are all interconnected and we are all part of a great relationality. We are all related, we could say. We as human beings and all living forms. We could say also that we share the planetary ecosystem and the smaller ecosystems in which 
the various living forms live. Concretely, what affects some of these living forms affects all of them. Sustainability asks us to reflect on human existence and on the existence of all life forms on Earth by considering how the way in which we develop, we could call it economic development or ecological development, as environmental and social impacts. And so we want to reflect critically on how we live and how we develop and how we progress so that it can allow us to flourish together with the, the whole planet. Hence, sustainability is connected to development. It implies our ability to meet the needs of everyone, protecting sufficient resources so that future generations will have too their chance and they can meet, they will be able to meet their needs. As we could say that sustainability is an ethical challenge. It presupposes our ability of analyzing critically how we live today, to reflect on our lifestyles, on the way in which we produce and consume and waste, on how we lived in the past and what we inherited from the past and what we are going to leave to the generations that will follow us. To say more positively, sustainability aims at integral development for individuals, for society, for all life forms, and for all non-living creatures, for the whole planet. So we should be able to be careful and critical in looking at what's happening in the local context. And now globalization is affecting each locality and what needs to be done structurally to address situations of inequity and inequality that we slow the increasing, hopefully, that we need to be addressed because the goal is to slow the increasing environmental degradation and the human environmental suffering that this degradation is causing. If sustainability is such an important goal, that is essential for the planet's integral development. As human beings, as you indicated correctly, we have the responsibility to strive for acknowledging, protecting, and promoting sustainability as humankind's common good. Sustainability leads us to ask for inclusive ways in which we can pursue the good that is the good for everyone, globally, everywhere. We could call it, as you indicated in your question, the common good, including everything and everyone, locally and globally. Now, some will not agree on what I just affirmed. They would say that it is a controversial task. The critics will respond, will indicate that it is not easy to define what is good for everyone, particularly if this, the scope of uh, the the interlocutors, we could say, is so broad, particularly if we don't want to do it in ways that are sectarian or discriminatory or biased. If we want to include individuals, communities, groups, organizations, states, and all the living forms, and particularly if we want to focus on the powerless. Also, we can add, if we want to include the environment, the whole planet, it means that we cannot be only focusing on human beings. We cannot simply think that an anthropocentric approach will be sufficient. It's not sufficient to consider the needs of the human beings. The pursuit of the common good presupposes that our anthropocentric approach 
is integrated by biocentric, focusing on living forms, and cosmocentric dimensions, even going beyond our planet. If it is truly inclusive, the common good is not only good for human beings, but also for all living creatures, for non-living forms, and for the planet. Now, finishing on the common, trying to define the common good, mm. if we turn to the Catholic context, in 1965, the Second Vatican Council, in its document called the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, called in Latin Gaudium Spes, in English, Joy and Hope, offered the definition of the principle of the common good as the sum of those conditions of social life which allow social groups and their individual members relatively thorough and ready access to their own fulfillment. If we say it differently, the common good allows for the ultimate realization of individual capacities in the social context. And it concerns, as we said before, individuals, groups, and the whole planet. The goal of the common good is individual and collective flourishing, whether we think on human beings or creation. Now, when we look at our world, we see that we are far from this goal. We realize that we are marred by social, economic, and political inequities in the global south, but also in the global north. Hence, the common good in this context of, we could say, global injustice aims at promoting social justice. In the case of human beings, all goods are included, all social goods are included when we think of the common good, spiritual, moral, and material. We could say that access to clean, fresh water is one of the essential social goods that the pursuit of the common good demands. If we care for the common good, if you agree that water is a good that should be easily accessible and affordable to all human beings and to the many living forms that depend on it, we need to protect it in sustainable ways. We could say that this is a very ambitious vision. And if we reflect critically on the social inequities that we have in our world, solidarity is a way in which we can implement this vision centered on the common good. And solidarity implies the fact that we are ready to serve, to care for those who in civil society have greater needs and are less advantaged. In, again, the Catholic context, solidarity means that we make a preferential option for the poor and we aim at promoting the needs of those who are currently excluded, marginalized or socially disadvantaged because of their economic or educational status, because of their gender and race, their religion or belief system. In the case of water, solidarity and preferential option for the poor call us to make water a resource for those who might be excluded from having access to it. Finally, this vision invites us to see how equality is uh, integral to a vision of the common good. It aims to pro be, promote solidarity and to care for those who are left out. We could say in the case of water, equal access is essential. But we could say that if the vision is global and the concerns are broader than uh, simply the needs that we have, justice, order, peace, social welfare are part of this vision of the common good. I wanted to pick up this theme, and I, I loved when you said that globalization is a, is a local phenomenon. It's a beautiful way to put it. It's kind of the paradox that 
I think we're going to talk a little bit about today. But I wanted to pick up this theme um, of the way sustainability speaks to very concrete, local, individual decisions, um, how we live, how we think about development, how we think about progress, and talk about work. The question is, how does our work, the way we support ourselves, the way our economy is driven now, need to change to address the immense threats to the world's water supply and the environment and to, and to pursue water as a, as a condition of the common good that's available to all. It seems to me that one of the key insights that shapes uh, Pope Francis' uh, 2015 and letter, Letter to See, you know, the care for our common home, is uh, relationality. What we said at the beginning and what somehow you know, already was implicit in what you ask. We are all interconnected. We are all interdependent not only among human beings, but also with all living and non-living forms, with the whole planet. So we could say, if really this is the vision that becomes ours, how would this reflection on the fact that we are all together, that we are all related, might change the way in which we think about work? It seems to me that it could mean that together, we would find ways to promote the working conditions of everyone across, in the, across the planet. And that with our human ingenuity and creativity, we will find ways to remove any hindrance that will limit access to equitable work for all citizens. So we could think that this vision of all of us related will help us again to promote social justice in the case of work, reflecting critically on investments, on where work is offered and where work is limited, mm. on just wage for both sexes, on uh, ways in which uh, in the locality, we create conditions for solidarity so that there is a sharing in the opportunities for work, particularly when we need to rethink the working conditions and the you know, types of work mm. in places where, for example, to promote the environment, we need to change the way in which we produce and the, the way in which we extract resources. Think of you know, coal, for example, and a way in which we obtain uh, energy that is needed for uh, domestic life, for agriculture, for uh, industrial production, but also we help people to flourish and to have an employment that will help the flourishing. And if you think at the preferential attention, uh, attention to the needs of those who are left out, uh, we can think creatively with them what we can come up with, what we can offer. If you think in the case of water, for example, relationality, it seems to me, leads Pope Francis in Laudato Si to engage in dialogue to promote common initiatives uh, that support technological developments that can conserve water, particularly in the two main sectors where water is consumed in the agricultural sector and in the industrial sector. And uh, uh, the vision or the overall vision, again, in the case of work, I would say is an economic ecology. So a way of producing and consuming that is, we could say, attentive to the ecosystem, but also is sustainable within the ecosystem. And again, looks at the future generations, both at the present, the current generation and the future generations. Pope Francis acknowledges that uh, work is essential for human life. He refers to it as a vocation to work. 
that is one of the essential dimensions of what it means to be human and to flourish. And this vision of relationality seems to me challenges us to way in which we can be creative in coming up with new solutions, whether in production or in business. Uh, how you know, technology can support innovation so that we can promote sustainable development. It's a beautiful vision. Um, and, uh, and some might even say that it's necessary, but I think a lot of people worry, is it realistic? Is it going to be realized? And, um, and the, the issue is for a lot of people that the political incentives don't seem to be geared to producing the kind of change that we need and lead, lead to the realization of this vision. I, um, I was impressed by an essay that um, Emmanuel Macron wrote where he spoke of two temporalities, you know, which is the short-term framework in which politicians operate uh, and the need to address the immense challenges with longer term, often politically unpopular strategies, you know, and that those two, those two um, timeframes are quite different. And I, I feel that very acutely in our country right now, for example. So, I mean, I wonder if you could talk about the trade-off between, you know, short-term economic and political gain and incentives and the longer-term challenges facing our environment, including, including the need for clean water and the, and the way to kind of move the, redirect the ship so that it's heading in the right way, because it doesn't seem to be at this point. I was thinking at uh, ways in which we can uh, strengthen our hope uh, because you're right, you know, if uh, uh, we look at the current situation, we have plenty of reasons to be hopeless and, uh, or to be, you know, even despaired. And, uh, and this is not going to help us to be creative. So I would think if it would be possible to identify best practices, ways in which uh, we, in the, in the concrete, in, in uh, paying attention to the short term, context, we already are planning for the future. I want to give one example, mm. Wangari Mathai, Nobel Peace Prize, Kenyan, who uh, launched a, an initiative engaging women in Kenya. We are talking about the context where women are not considered you know, players, we could say, in the social context, or to say more positively, who uh, long for empowerment. And she created the Green Belt Movement mm. that aimed at uh, promoting reforestation. So community of women, groups of women, grew trees and planted trees throughout the country. A simple, concrete practice that focusing on the short-term empowerment and economic engagement of uh, groups of women at the same time was uh, planning for the future. So combine the short term and the long term. Mm. If uh, we turn now to Pope Francis, it seems to me that he is not satisfied of what he did in Laudato Si as a sort of a prophetic call to engagement mm. uh, in the short term, but with uh, a view for the long, long term. And two clear 
and direct and practical initiatives, it seems to me, indicate how he wants to implement that vision. Not alone, not alone but with others. He wants really to begin to realize the vision that is indicated and proposed prophetically in Laudato Si. The first one is the synod, the gathering of all the ecclesial um, forces from the Amazonian region. Mm. It just finished in Rome. And uh, this gathering is particularly relevant for anything that concerns the environment mm. because of the importance of the region for the whole globe. But also because there, there has been a strong awareness on the need to protect uh, uh, the forest by the locals, by the indigenous populations, trying to resist to any way in which uh, powers wanted to take advantage of that planetary resource, protecting water, protecting trees, protecting ways in which the indigenous people uh, uh, preserve the biodiversity. And Pope Francis wanted to support this concrete way of uh, being engaged locally with an agenda that is uh, promoting integral ecology and uh, wanted also to make that a sort of exemplar for the whole world. And the second initiative is for forthcoming and it is next March, March 2020, and it is uh, a focus global gathering on the economy. So the conversation that we just had briefly on work as an essential dimension that we see is part of the agenda of Pope Francis and he wants to help positive forces to gather and see how we can, in the area of the economy, promote an economic ecology that will have an impact, a positive impact in the short term and the long term. It seems to me that this issue of water in the form of floods, rising sea levels, freshwater shortages, you know, the contamination of fresh by salt water, that's going to, and in fact is leading to the migration right now of entire groups of people and entire communities, in fact. And my agency did a podcast some time ago with a woman named Pelanese Alofa of the nation of Kiribati. And that's a, um, a nation that's 33 islands in the central Pacific Ocean. And the freshwater contamination and erosion are, are, is going to make all but one of those islands uninhabitable within 30 years. And so everybody in Kiribati needs to migrate. Um, another example that we don't focus on so much is the way in which environmental degradation um, leads to migration to the United States, you know, and I think of this um, so-called dry corridor, which runs through Central America, Costa Rica, and Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and then parts of Southern Mexico as well. And these are precisely um, the migrant sending communities to the United States, you know, their residents actually fill U.S. detention centers and are the people that are at the heart of some of the abuses that are um, we're seeing on the U.S.-Mexico border. And, um, and kind of another important point from our literature anyway is that, and I'm thinking of a major U.K. study on migration and environmental change, is that it's the very marginal and the poor 
that are far more likely to have to stay during slow onset environmental changes as their lives become more perilous. And then when disasters come, natural disasters come, we'll have to flee, but in an unregulated, unsafe way. And just in general, to lose everything in the process. So I wonder, um, I guess it's a two-part question, kind of a point too. What can be done to address this challenge, but also what can be done to educate people to the connectedness of a lot of these issues? You know, they look at migration, for example, but generally people don't think about environmental change or water when they think about migration, but these things are all very connected right now. I agree with you that we need to find ways to name and address these social injustices that all our sisters and brothers are suffering. We could say that the persons you named, you no, know, just on this, our southern border, our neighbors, and how we're treating our neighbors. They are literally our neighbors. Mm. It's not sufficient to be aware. We need to support them, whether they are individuals, families, children, their communities, and we need to be aware of their immediate needs of food, water, the ways in which they migrate because they cannot grow coffee anymore because of the climate change, because they, there is no water and they have no way in which they can uh, find ways to survive as they were doing until you know, a few months ago, a few years ago. If you want to promote uh, their development, we need to find ways in which we empower them. And so, if, we need to also consider that in many cases, they live in political contexts that are not democratic and they do not, where the common good of the citizens is not promoted. Mm. If, you know, again, we look at what Pope Francis in Laudato Si is presenting to us, we could call this approach that is attentive to the persons and their needs, what's happening to their land, what's happening in their, uh, political, cultural, and religious context. For Pope Francis, this approach is an integral ecology. All dimensions of human, social, cultural, and religious life require our attention and require our care. Mm-hmm. And we are talking from one of the richest countries in the world. And to us, Pope Francis telling that we need to reflect critically on what we are doing or what we are omitting of doing. And conversion is something that we should ask for or in, as a gift for our lives so that we realize what needs to be changed, in which way we need to modify our way of being and acting or the lack of it. Because we need to change any type of behavior that is adding further suffering and injustice to the dramatic situation that our neighbors are suffering. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, anthropologically, we'll also say, we are all migrants. We migrated you know, throughout the centuries from one place to another. And so what we think is the situation of others that we separate from us in the reality is uh, who we were maybe a few decades ago, maybe a few years ago, maybe a few centuries ago. But it's a sort of anthropological characteristic of humankind, that humankind moves. We are people on the move. In terms of best practices, what seems can help us to recognize in the other someone who is like me, 
mm-hmm. and uh, and see the way in which in caring for the other person i am caring for myself and i'm caring for the place in which we live what it seems to be uh, you can tell me if it is a part of your experience too it is essential that we hear the stories of those who are suffering of those who are migrating or those who need to flee because of political instability or because of uh, drought uh, or lack of uh, working opportunities mm. and uh, even more than simply hearing the stories we need to see them we need to be face to face with them so we need to put a face a voice uh, uh, to the other person so that is not some simply something that is distant from us that doesn't affect us but is something that touches us profoundly mm. so if you want the presupposition is that we have a good heart and it needs to be only touched and it is uh, by this encounter that we'll be able to to see that we cannot let the other you know outside building a wall separating them from us we need to find a way to live better together and 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 help them to find the conditions for life as we want for mm. us for our children for those who, who depend on us for those who are important for us and for whom we care yeah i mean i totally agree with you i think that the central insight is and the central need is empathy empathy towards others and however you develop that empathy whether you recognize that migration is a timeless human phenomenon our ancestors did it, our grandparents did it, that we may be doing it in the future ourselves, you know? The refugees that you see today didn't think that they were ever gonna be refugees, that they were ever gonna be migrants, for example. When people are new to to a new question like this or an immense problem or challenge like this, and when they first awaken to it, it does seem to me that there's um, a risk that they'll not know what to do and that they'll think to themselves that they can't do anything consequential to address that issue. And I think about the world's oceans and just reading about them, you know, you read about these five enormous garbage patches that are just floating around there and disintegrating and getting into the ocean system and and the ocean life at this point. These massive dead zones, this quantity of plastic that will soon outweigh Um, all of the fish in the ocean. And so I think that people might ask themselves, where do you start to address situations that are this extreme and this large? And I guess my question to you is, how do you avoid resignation um, to to this reality or even despair in response to a situation like this? I would say the first step is what you were just doing. We need to be aware without being afraid of what we are going to discover or the fact that we might experience a sense of lack of power, lack of control or growing despair uh, for how we feel our abilities are limited compared to the size of the problems. That would be, from my point of view, already a very important step that we do not keep our eyes closed on what is happening because this is what helps us to see what we can do concretely to address these challenges. 
second we'll say again can we reaffirm the fact we want to care that we want to find a solution that we want to promote care for our planet eliminate those patches mm. clean our oceans avoiding polluting them further producing ways that will not add plastic to the planet and to the oceans the third step i would say is can we find a way in which we can facilitate engagement so we need as we indicated to see concretely how we can engage ourselves and we need to see that even if it's something more little it can have an impact and can make a difference now we have seen that a young woman and an adolescent a 16 year old is able to have an impact globally because of the transparency boldness clarity courage and the dedication that she has you know we could say you know if i place myself you know when i was 16 16 years old i didn't think that i would be able to have an influence globally but now the world allows it seems with media of communication the possibility of seeing a space for an engagement that is going to make a difference this is an example we can you no know, think of more local engagements let's say into educational context teaching on this my students you know address this as a case that they need to discuss when we reflect on the topic of water at the end of studying theological uh, contributions on water together with scientific contributions and so they face in themselves the challenge of lack of hope but they need also to becoming aware see how they can in their own lifestyle try to avoid using producing a wasting plastic mm. also we could say already someone is working there is a very interesting website you know of you know people engage in trying to clean up and trying to find the funds to do that and also developing the technology that mm. will help them to clean those tragic patches so can we find a way to support their work to share their commitment their passion and more globally what can we do to reduce pollution to produce using alternative uh, green materials that will not be accumulated in the ocean like uh, uh, that plastic can we share best practices again whether it is in education in workplaces uh, among groups of people even groups of friends or no using the social media so i would want that seeing the problems allows us to judge our reality and find ways to act according to you know the threefold approach of see judge and act so that we still have time hopefully to do something for uh, uh, the protection of our common home maybe there is a way in which we can think of hope as not something that uh, um, is unreachable I, i i have this image of hope it's it's a gift that is uh, coming toward us it is prepared for us and uh, we find the energy to 
be hopeful because there is this gift coming toward us. So mm -hmm. hope is not something that we own, that we possess, that we control, but something that is given to us. It helps us to move forward. Mm -hmm. So it's something that uh, is dynamic, profoundly dynamic. And it's something that we receive from others. It's something that we recognize in others. It's also something that we identify in ourselves mm -hmm. when we are surprised that uh, we find in ourselves the energy to do something, mm -hmm. the creativity, the imagination, the patience, the courage, the, the endurance that we thought we didn't have you know, before you know, engaging in that particular you know, initiative or, or commitment or taking that responsibility. So I agree with you. Maybe hope is one of the key virtues that uh, help us to deal with the crisis that we are experiencing. I'd like to chime in just one. This is Vaipi. So I just want to say, I don't have a question at this point. I just have to want to say that this is a very unusual, for me, it's a very unusual conversation. So I'm a physicist and a scientist. So this kind of um, ethical and moral issues are something that I don't hear discussed in my spheres in public. So I'm thankful for this conversation. It's, uh, it's good to hear it out in public rather than just inside my head. So thank you. It was, uh, it's a, it's been definitely a very interesting and unusual conversation for me. Yeah. No questions for me as of right now. I just thought it was also very interesting how you combine the immigration aspect of it um, and how that is really something that's not talked about publicly as much as a reason for fleeing. But it, if anything, it just puts the emphasis on how bad this problem is, if that's a reason to come out of countries and face the troubles that they're facing at the border here. And so, again, thank you for this conversation. It's just getting me to think about some issues which I usually don't think about. It's, uh, yeah. So I, I approach things very, in a very dry scientific way. It's like, just give me the facts. But I understand that most people don't think that way. And uh, I have to talk to the, late, to the general public. That's not a very helpful approach. So once again, thank you for this conversation. Maybe not, maybe honesty, but not the brutal part. How's that? Yes, and that's uh, that's a matter of opinion. So I understand that sometimes I was being too brutal, so brutal that I was not. I was it was being counterproductive. So let's say. So thank Hopeful you. honesty. Hopeful honesty, and that's uh, that's a subtle change that I need to learn to do in my own conversations. Thank you. In uh, in Laudato Si, Pope Francis refers to humility. That is interesting, uh, because uh, no, he could have no avoided mentioning the fact that. Is placing himself and invites us to place ourselves in a position of humility. Because, as you were suggesting, when we know the facts, uh, uh, the facts talk on their own. So, why do we need to add humility? Maybe because we need to be aware that uh, truth cannot be forced, and uh, we need to find a way in which together we. Uh, realize the complexity, the difficulty, and the urgency of what's happening and what we should do to care for our planet. I want to say thank you to the Father. I want to say thank you to Donald for hosting. I'd like to say thanks to Emma Friedman, who's uh, one of our editors, and she's does a great job with all the work she does. Uh, if you want to find Future Frogmen, you can find us on all social media at Future Frogmen or at our website at futurefrogmen.org. Very simple, very straightforward. So please check us out there if you want to see more stuff. We have blog posts, we have events, we have videos we make, cartoons. So please give us a follow, um, listen to the show, because we're coming every week with you. So thank you, and 
We'll see you next time.